Welcome everyone to the Dynasty Fantasy Football Podcast presented by the 33rd Team. I'm your host as always, Josh Larkey, joined with me as always by the 33rd Team's lead Dynasty analyst, Ian Miller, at Dynasty underscore I am on the Twitter and X universe. Folks, we've got a quick show and an actionable show. Right now it's week 16. There's only two weeks left in the Dynasty season. There's only two weeks left in your redraft season. And uh, there's some players whose value can fluctuate quite a bit over these next two weeks that we want to get to, because if you're listening to this show, then you're either in the semifinals for your dynasty league, congratulations, or you are looking to figure out how to rebuild for next year at the last second. And we're going to hit on some players whose value could fluctuate pretty considerably over these next couple months. Let's dive right into the quarterback position contender. I'm looking at a couple quarterbacks. The first one, Justin Fields. We like this week 16 game against the Cardinals. We we like week 17 against the Falcons. I have no idea what Justin Fields' future is. A lot of the reports are starting to become that he will be traded after the season ends. He's currently the quarterback 14 on keep trade cut. That feels about right with the uncertainty. Although I think like at least for this year, if you're a contender, uh, Ian, what are there? Like maybe two, three quarterbacks we'd prefer to Fields. So I, I think we should at least discuss him. Would you be willing to, if you are contending, uh, like throw a, like a veteran quarterback in a 20, 24 first to get Justin Fields or something like that? Yeah, I think my thing with Justin Fields is I think quarterback 14 values just about right. Like that feels right for what we've seen from Justin Fields this season. And especially going into an offseason where of all quarterbacks, he undoubtedly has the most question marks about where he's going to be, what what his situation holds for him. But in terms of if I'm a contender, he's probably going to be a back-end quarterback one, I'd assume, like he has the rest of the season. He takes on Arizona and Atlanta. This season, he's at 19.9 points per game, and he's going to continue to do that because he's a rusher. So rushing quarterbacks are guys who generally week-to-week have a pretty high floor. But the thing that's kind of different about Justin Fields is that his rushing production, usually when you see guys with six-plus, seven-plus rushing points per game, they're at the top, even without great passing numbers. Like when we look at other quarterbacks, Hertz, uh, Allen, those are the only other guys. And Lamar Jackson are the only other guys with higher points per game rushing than Justin Fields has this season. If you don't count Kyler Murray in his few games, just not being eligible, but all those guys are within the top six in points per game. Whereas you see Justin Fields, the only other uh, quarterback with at least six rushing points per game that has less than that is outside the top six is Josh Dobbs, who's now a third string quarterback. So it's, it's very weird in terms of like what you're seeing, but it gives you a decent floor. Like Josh Dobbs was terrible. He's now a third stringer. And this was someone who's putting up 19 points per game when he was playing. So you're getting a high floor because the rushing production, something where I'm completely fine throwing him out there on my contending teams in the semifinals, he's going to be fine. It's this off season is if I'm a contender, do I really want to stick a 2020 first that could be a decent asset for Justin Fields, who I do think likely ends up on a team, but you don't know where. And I think one of the biggest things that I've seen is if he ends up on a new team, then he's going to get a boost in value because he's away from guys. But the thing is with players like this, where they don't know if it's the franchise guy and they're willing to ship them off, being on another team is just the next step closer to no longer being a starting quarterback, which I think inevitably makes your value less. So if I have to take a premium asset to get Justin Fields on my contending team, I I don't really want to do it. But like Josh said, if you can take 
a veteran quarterback or a quarterback near his value and add a little something to get into Justin Fields territory, I'm totally fine doing that. It's just how you construct that deal. Yeah, Fields has a really interesting profile. The past month, he's averaging 33 pass attempts, 12 rush attempts a game. No quarterback has that profile. Hertz and Lamar are throwing about two fewer attempts per game and running about one and a half fewer times per game. And then nobody else is even slightly close. So the, the usage itself has been outrageous. Speaking of a quarterback that has been changing teams a lot, Ian, let's talk about Baker Mayfield. Keep trade cut, Dynasty Consensus website. Has him at quarterback 23. If I'm contending in Superflex, this feels like a screaming buy. I, I love his matchup in week 16 against the Jaguars. Week 17 against the Saints. He's definitely in the fantasy two, quarterback two conversation. Quarterback 23 for Mayfield. I mean, do we not just want him straight up potentially to Will Levis, Sam Howell, Jordan Love, who are all significantly above him? Because I don't see how he doesn't get extended by the Bucs this offseason. He's pacing for 4,000 passing yards, nearly 30 touchdowns. His quarterback rating is 95. He has some mobility. And every single beat reporter says that his teammates love him at this point. And he does have the former first overall pedigree. Is this kind of the, the lasting stop for someone that at this point has played on the Browns, the Panthers, the Rams, and now the Bucks. Yeah, I actually, I saw what you put out the other day about him likely being extended. And I found myself feeling the same way that he likely gets extended and is someone who's quite undervalued when you look at Dynasty. I just updated the rankings. And when I compared mine to consensus, like on quarterback 23, I'm like, wow, I'm actually kind of a bit higher on Baker Mayfield than consensus seems to be. But the funny thing is we talk about Justin Fields. Justin Fields on the season has 19.9 points per game. We're unsure of his situation next year. We're unsure of where the next stop is. And he's quarterback 14. Baker Mayfield has just 0.3 less points per game on the season than Justin Fields does. And we're also mm -hmm. unsure of his situation, where he's going to be. And he's co priced considerably lower. Like if I'm looking for a contending quarterback who I could stick in my lineup – and likely get quarterback one week out of him or a couple quarterback one weeks out of him. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do that with Baker Mayfield, who I can get for considerably cheaper. And like you said, I think there's a pretty solid chance he gets extended. Like if the bears were in this purgatory, maybe Justin Fields, you're like, okay, it's not as obvious. They don't have, you know, Caleb Williams in their back pocket. Baker Mayfield doesn't have this team anywhere near getting an elite rookie quarterback. He doesn't have them in a position where they're likely to get a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield, who, as you said, has actually been pretty good. 18.6 uh, passing points per game on the season. He has a passing touchdown rate higher than 5% and adjusted yards per attempt that's quite, quite, you know, intriguing at 7.4. I think there's a decent amit, uh, amount to like with Baker Mayfield. And he's someone who, on a season in 2024 with extension, has, you know, fringe quarterback one upside. He's someone who I honestly am buying, even if I'm a rebuilder, I think it's one of those things where you see that extension hit and all of a sudden the value just comes with it. I like that. Two quarterbacks that are specifically for rebuilders would be Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert. Quarterbacks six and seven on keep trade cut. Their seasons, as we know, are over. And I was looking, Lamar Jackson is ranked ahead of them in Dynasty. Lamar Jackson's older. And I, I got to thinking... I might prefer those two straight up to Lamar when thinking about their careers because Lamar didn't really take much of a step forward as a passer this year. He's actually looked a little bit slower and less dynamic as a runner, which kind of makes sense. He's 27. If you're running 10 plus times a game, 
we have to kind of merge that quarterback and running back aging curve and like a 27 year old running back. That's kind of terrifying. So not that we should treat Lamar fully like a running back, but I think we should at least be aware of the running back aging curve with him. I, he just hasn't really put it together this year. He has that 2019 season. The last four years have kind of been disappointing to put it mildly. If you're rebuilding right now with Lamar, would you just flip him for Burrow or Herbert straight up? Since I'm starting to think that might be the move. Yeah, I actually did a really fun thing with Lamar on this team that should not have missed the playoffs, but unfortunately did, despite the third most points for in my league. Just a devastating one. But it's one where I have Lamar Jackson, I have Christian McCaffrey, and I have a person who's played last week. They were in the first round of the playoffs, and they were holding on to Joe Burrow and Justin Jefferson. And so I threw Christian McCaffrey and Lamar Jackson at him, and I got – Joe Burrow, Justin Jefferson, and a third added on, which you're oh. basically doing that, you know, pretty straight up for a team going into the offseason. Take the wide receiver one in Dynasty, take at least a very similar value quarterback that in the offseason could likely be higher than what Lamar Jackson is at. And you got to pick attached. Like those are the trades that I love doing if I'm not in a playoff position with someone who is in playoff position. Like getting Burrow and Herbert are some of the easiest guys to get especially from teams that are in the playoffs right now that need that quarterback. But I do – the most disappointing thing with the Ravens this season is that all offseason it was Todd Munkins coming in and all the chatter was this team's going to pass more, this team's going to throw more, which has been exciting because Lamar Jackson has had some pretty good underlying passing peripherals. In fact, even this season in film grade, he's top 12. He has a 7.8 adjusted yards per attempt. Like It's not like he's been a bad passer, but – you're not going to put up a bunch of points per game when your team's second lowest in passing attempts on the season, which is not fantastic for someone like Lamar Jackson. Now, granted, he's still putting up 7.4 rushing points per game. His fifth straight season of doing it. I'm not going to bend against him doing that again until he shows us that he's not. He's the most historic rushing quarterback that we've seen in fantasy football. So it's one of those things where I think they're all in the same tier. But yeah, I do not mind getting myself into Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert range, who, yeah, they likely have a little bit more uh, when you look at production just in the foreseeable future. It's a lot easier to see that they will be producing what they are now at 35 versus Lamar producing what he is now at 35 or however you want to look at that at 30 plus, anything like that. It's one of those things where, yeah, I'm fine doing it straight up, but you should absolutely get some injury tax at it. Guys, Ian is dynasty underscore I am on Twitter. Make sure you're following him there. And every single week on the 33rdteam.com, you can view his updated Dynasty rankings. Those are already on the site. They've been updated ahead of week 16. He gives you Dynasty rankings. You have each tier of player ranking for the positions and the estimated draft pick value that you could kind of put in a trade to get those players. And he writes up some of his big risers and fallers. Those are free on the 33rdteam.com. You're missing out if you're not checking them out. Let's turn to running back. We'll keep this one simple because I'm just looking at three players that I don't think are all that different. Kyron Williams. He's the running back eight on keep trade cut. James Cook is the running back 11. Isaiah Pacheco is the running back 15. I'm going to give very unnuanced thoughts and then I'll pass to Ian. Kyron Williams has the CMC role. He's just not as good as CMC. And he has no draft capital. We don't know if Matthew Stafford will be in Los Angeles. He is very risky, but clearly has the most upside based on what we've seen this year with his role. James Cook is insulated. Round two draft capital. He'd be with Josh Allen and the Bills for at least two more seasons. 
The pass game role has increased tremendously the past four weeks since the offensive coordinator switch from Ken Dorsey to Joe Brady. And then we have Isaiah Pacheco, where he's attached to Patrick Mahomes for at least two more seasons. And we've seen that when healthy, he gets pretty much all of the work on the ground and through the air. There's massive injury questions, I think, with all of them, as there is with any running back. These are all slightly undersized guys as well for the position in terms of compared to their workloads. How should we be thinking about these three? Because I don't actually think they're all that different. Yeah, and actually bringing up the rankings, I would like to give myself a shout out because I remember when we put uh, Kyron Williams as a dynasty RB1 when keep trade cut, when fantasy trade calc had him in the RB20s. And it was one of those things where, okay, you can, you know, there's doubts of the profile. There's not this value insulation attached to someone like Kyron Williams, but there's no way that a 20 point per game score at the running back position should be anywhere near valued in the RB20s. But now we've seen the consensus has adjusted. And I think it's something that's totally fair. One thing when it comes to Kyron Williams that I see a lot is, okay, we've seen this profile where you got this day three guy that gets this workload. You know, we've seen it with Damian Pierce. We've seen it with James Robinson. And that set me down a rabbit hole of comparing these guys. Now, difference is Kyron Williams is doing it in his second season. But when you look at these guys too, what they did, well, Damian Pierce had the issue where we were very unsure of a receiving uh, workload out of the backfield. So not only do you have to worry about value insulation, you don't have that high-end ceiling because he's not someone who is a pass catcher. And then, you, which is kind of similar to Isaiah Pacheco. Isaiah Pacheco just happens to be on the best offense that's not going to have a coaching regime uh, change anytime soon. But that's the other thing with these, these guys. They got used a ton, and then there was a coaching regime change. Now, Sean McVay is likely in the Rams. I mean, if he was with the Rams this year, there's no reason he's not going to continue being with the Rams. And he has them producing well. I mean, there's not going to be a coaching regime change. And then when you look at someone like James Robinson, they didn't take him on the off the field. In fact, he had an 81.5% carry percentage and produced yards per team rush attempt lower than what Kyron Williams is doing with his 67.5 carry percentage. And like you said, in the CMC role, obviously very light. Kyron Williams has a 13.1% target share, which is fantastic. He is getting all the work as a receiver out of the backfield, and he's actually doing quite well with it. His yards per team rush attempt leads the entire league. So it's not as if Kyron Williams is not really good, and he's someone at RB8. Well, I'm not like, okay, I need to get rid of this guy. He's It could fall off. We've seen he's a 20-point-per-game scorer. The coaching regime is not going to change, and he's been quite efficient with it. It's not just because they've just been throwing this workload at him because they don't have anybody else. He's been quite good when he gets the chance. We saw him get injured, come back, and he's still been the same Kyron. And then what you brought up with James Cook, since that coaching regime change, the only running back who has higher points per game is Christian McCaffrey that has higher than James Cook since Joe Brady took over as play caller. Both these guys are very fairly priced as Dynasty RB1s. But when you look at James Cook, yes, you get a little more value insulation. But on the season, it's still a profile where I'm a bit hesitant. What I mean by that is in the past four years, there's only been one running back to have a 15-point-per-game season without a 50% carry percentage and without at least a 10% target share. The other being James Conner. That's the one that James Cook is going to join. And it's not as if it's coming off ridiculous efficiency. It's coming off this late-season surge where we're seeing – you know, a lot of the receiving work that he wasn't getting start going his way. It's going to be interesting to see the season end. 
but I actually we already see a guy with 20 point per game uh, ceiling and production that's actually doing it in Kyron Williams. He's one where I'm going to lean if I had the choice between the two. I want Kyron Williams, even with lesser value insulation. If I told you that that McCaffrey was going to have 22 carries and five and a half targets a game, you'd be pretty happy with that. That is what Kyron has had since he returned from injury the past four games. Truly, truly, truly outrageous workload. It is, it is simply that CMC is better at football than Kyron, but their roles at this point look pretty much identical, as crazy as that sounds. Let's turn to receivers. If you're rebuilding, uh, I'm very into Jamar Chase. He's attached to Joe Burrow long-term, and I kind of think that you're getting this double injury discount because Jamar Chase is injured. He has the shoulder injury. He's not going to play the next two weeks, most likely. His fantasy season is over. And then there's the Joe Burrow injuries we talked about because Burrow's out. So you're kind of getting double dinged. Is this the perfect time to buy Jamar Chase? One thing I'll add is keep trade cut has Jefferson wide receiver one, Chase wide receiver two in dynasty. Jefferson has a value of 9,700 on the platform. Chase is at 8,600. That's a pretty big value gap. Jefferson, we have no idea who his quarterback's going to be. And he's a year older than Chase. Yeah, Jamar Chase, if you can take this time and buy him, especially from a contender, you really should not hesitate. I mean, you just talked about it. Joe Burrow, when he did play due to the calf injury, was not the Joe Burrow that we've come to expect in terms of offensive efficiency. Jamar Chase has been banged up and playing with a backup quarterback, yet here he is. We're talking all down on him, and he's the wide receiver seven on the season with 17.7 points per game in what we're considering a lost year almost or a very down year. Those are the kind of players that you want to invest in because when all's going wrong, you're getting top 10, top eight production out of a wide receiver, and you're getting an injury discount now. When all things go right, we're clearly looking at someone who can break fantasy football in the way that you're seeing You know, Tyreek Hill have a historic season. That's in Jamar Chase's range of outcomes. These are the players that injury discounts are always going to be awesome, but when you can get a player who's getting that double injury discount that you're talking about where you're double counting it, please go out and buy Jamar Chase, who in his down years is one of the most productive wide receivers we have in this league. Let's talk about Drake London and Garrett Wilson. The way I see it is that the quarterback situation has to improve next year. With Drake London, uh, I don't know who it's going to be. It's not going to be Heineke. It's not going to be Ritter. We've already got word that Heineke is starting this week over Ritter, so clearly they are not wedded to Ritter. Arthur Smith could get fired at a moment's notice. So Drake London's situation should improve. Same with Garrett Wilson. He's got Zach Wilson this year. He should have Aaron Rodgers next year. Either way, it's unlikely he'll ever have quarterback play this bad for the next at least half decade. How are you viewing these two? Are they kind of the the same profile where it's just, hey, uh, talented year two receiver in an awful situation. We are simply going to stack them onto our rebuilding team. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair. Now, I would much prefer Garrett Wilson right now, who even with being on the Jets, you look at his peripherals, you're like, okay, this is one of the lowest offensive efficiency teams, and he's still getting close to two yards per outrun, which is kind of what we consider to be elite. And it's coming from guys like Zach Wilson, Trevor Simeon, Tim Boyle, like guys who basically should not be throwing passes in the NFL, yet here we are with Garrett Wilson putting up near elite peripherals. And the other thing is he's earning a ton of targets before this, prior to this week, he had a 30% target share on the season. The only year two players to have a 30% target share are AJ green and Brandon Marshall. Like it is clearly, especially after his rookie year where you're like, okay, this guy is an elite player. Now we're getting something where 
he's still putting up 13 points per game in what's a clearly broken offense. And his peripherals say he is likely a superstar with at least a decent uh, quarterback at the helm. The other thing with Drake London, on the other hand, is he had an amazing rookie season where we're also like, all right, we've got, we've got him and Garrett Wilson going into their second season who have superstar written all over them. I mean, just last year, Drake London joined a rare group of rookie wide receivers to have at least two yards per team pass attempt and a 23% target share, which doesn't happen often. In fact, the only players to do it are Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Mike Evans, and Odell Beckham Jr. Like both of these guys have superstar written all over him. Now, when you look at Drake London, obviously his offense is a clown show, is I guess in the nicest way I would say it. I mean, you have to you you have to watch a guy who plays on a team that not only just lost to the Panthers, scoring seven points despite having three top ten offensive skill pe- uh, position players, who you cannot call bust at all, who we still think are very elite in their own right, and we watched all three of them combined not get as many touches as Tyler Algier last week. It, it simply doesn't make any sense what's going on. And this is a guy who we just talked about. Drake London had the second highest rookie time. target share, but he's doing something similar to Garrett Wilson in that it's a completely broken offense, but here's Drake London with 1.93 yards per team pass attempt and 1.99 yards per outrun. And even with this, you're seeing superstars in weeks where you shouldn't see a superstar in this offense. I mean, he had 28 points just the other week against the Buccaneers without even scoring a touchdown. The only other players to do that this year are Keenan Allen, CeeDee Lamb, and Puka Nakua. There is superstar still written in him, despite you're seeing him get lost in what's possibly the worst offensive situation in the league right now. Got one more for you. Ian, I think you have this right. In your dynasty rankings, you have Tank Dell ahead of Jordan Addison. That is not consensus. Consensus is certain Jordan Addison is the better dynasty receiver. I would actually side with you. He's attached to Stroud for at least the next three years. He might be the wide receiver one in this offense. Addison will never pass Jefferson. He probably won't pass Hawkinson, who was also extended. I can't really make sense of it. Do you have any concerns with with Tank Dell and the leg injury? Because right now, it just seems like if I had Addison and someone had Dell, I'd do that straight up. But you could probably even throw in it like a second-round pick. and it, it feels like robbery at this point. Yeah, I was worried that because obviously Tank Dell was not a prospect that I liked. I was worried once I started him being like the Tank Dell that we saw him be put up over 16 points per game as rookie season prior to the injury, I was worried that I wasn't going to get any shares of this talent that's likely to produce for quite a while. And then the injury happened, and all of a sudden I keep getting these shares. And it's something, too, where I use Jeff Mueller to for a lot of my injury advice or to see how a player's looking. And this was something where Jeff Mueller said within six months he should be back to his prior form with no setbacks. So it's something where by 2024, he's clearly should be the tank Dell of health wise that he was his rookie year. And this is someone like you mentioned with Jordan Addison, not just the players around him. And I like Jordan Addison. Don't get me wrong. Jordan Addison is still um, in my top 20 dynasty wide receivers. He's still quite good. But this is also something you talked about, like situation wise, we don't 100 percent know who the Vikings quarterback is going to be. We know tank Dell is attached to CJ Stroud, who could be one yes. of the best passing quarterback quarterbacks on the planet because he's already doing that as a rookie. So Tank Dell is, I mean, 2.21 yards per out run and 23.4% uh, target rate in a CJ Stroud offense. Like that is the kind of production that I want for the foreseeable future. 
And value-wise, he's outside of the top 20 dynasty wide receivers. That's something where I traded a contender, Mike Evans, for Tank Dell, and I could not be any happier about that move. That's an awesome move. Folks, Ian's dynasty rankings are on the 33rdteam.com. He is dynasty underscore I am on Twitter. If you want fantasy rankings for this week and next week, because those matter for dynasty as well, once we get to this point in the season, the 33rdteam.com, you can get my fantasy rankings there on the site. Both of our sets of rankings are free. Ian, let's close out the show with some tight end talk. This year, as a rookie, Sam Laporta's averaged seven targets, five catches, 54 receiving yards, 14 and a half PPR fantasy points per game. If you're in a tight end premium league, that's 17 fantasy points a game. That's ridiculous. And then we look at Trey McBride. The past seven games since he's become the full-time starter, I don't think we can put the cat back in the bag. The guy's averaging nine targets, more than seven catches, 77 yards, nearly 17 PPR points per game. If you want a tight end premium that one, you're looking at 20 points per game in one and a half PPR formats. One thing that's interesting, Laporta, significantly more valuable in Dynasty than McBride. If we just look at team situation, Laporta, the way I'm seeing it is that he's stuck with Jameer Gibbs. He's stuck with Amon Ross St. Brown. Jameson Williams is starting to come into his own. And then we look at McBride. And I really have no idea what long-term pieces are in Arizona. But McBride looks like the clear-cut number one going forward. Should I trade Laporta away for McBride? And then some right now? Or is that too hasty because we have to remember that McBride's in year two and Laporta's doing this as a rookie? Yeah, so on the 33rd team site, I have Sam Laporta as the tight end one. And I'm still not going to tell you that trading him for McBride plus is a bad move because I have McBride as a tight end three in dynasty in our rankings. These are two top three dynasty tight ends that we're talking about. Both are great in their own right. Now with Sam Laporta, he's posting the second highest target share for a rookie ever, the second highest yards per team pass attempt for a rookie ever. And thanks to a very nice line situation, so far the highest points per game by a rookie tight end ever. Now, when we look at Sam Laporta, the other thing that going into next year, while you can hopefully expect some improvement as you would for really any position, but especially tight ends going from year one to year two, even in the greatest of situations, we're probably not going to see a 9.2% touchdown rate. Even guys like Travis Kelsey, you talk about, he's with Mahomes. He's been tight end one forever and is still tight end one this season. He still just has a touchdown rate of 4.5%. These type of things are variants, even in the best of situations. But why am I not saying, okay, you need to hold on to Laporta no matter what, even if you get a plus on top of McBride, who is in his second year. And that's because McBride in his second year is playing like one of the best tight ends in the league, if not the best, since Zach Ertz went down. Since week eight, as you mentioned, uh, Trey McBride has posted 20.1 points per game in tight end premium formats. No tight end has scored close to that. And it's taking that's tight end one in that span. And like I said, it's not just a random span. That's when we finally saw Zach Ertz. Well, unfortunately, an injury had to do it for Trey McBride to get onto the field as in a full-time role. But the thing is, McBride's been good the entire season. When we look on a per-root basis, there's not a better tight end. His 27.4% target rate tops all tight ends in the league, and his 2.3 yards per out run tops all tight ends in the league. So basically what he did is he just took what he was doing on the field, just in a lesser role, and then he gets put in a full-time 100% uh, the tight end role. And we're seeing him do exactly what he did on the field. 
We just get to see it at a higher volume. So it's not some fluke that he has 20 points per game since Zach Ertz went down, which is exactly why I'm not against trading someone like Laporta and get a pretty plus attached to McBride, who is producing as the tight end one since Zach Ertz went down. Yeah, this week I officially did it. Trey McBride is my fantasy tight end one for week 16. Anyone out them out there starting him in a redraft semifinals, a dynasty semifinals matchup, I think you're going to be quite happy with his output. Does not look like Marquise Brown is practicing this week. It is completely wheels up as it's been the past seven weeks once again for Mr. McBride. Folks, that'll do it from us, from myself, Josh Larkey, from our own lead dynasty analyst, Ian Miller, from the 33rd team. Thank you, everyone.